Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. Betches Media presents... I would like to speak to America's men for one minute. That slacker barista. I start getting full of emotion. Now we're going to build this new bridge here. Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No, I can't. Betches Up Podcast. Like, how are people surviving? Hello, hello. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Millie Tamaris. And this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Happy Monday, everybody. You know, I've, I've been trying to think as we kind of segment our, our new format out more, uh, a proper way to start our Monday podcast. And, you know, today I'm going to try something. I, if you listen to Celebrity Memoir Book Club, this might sound fairly similar to how they start their podcast. They ask, like, um, if this was a chapter, what would you call it? But just subify it. To subify it. To subify. Mm-hmm. Girlies, if you could write a headline, a spicy headline, a clickbait headline, an inflammatory headline about your weekend. What would it be this round? Wow. Okay. Hold on. Let me think. I'll start. I'll start. Mine, yeah. Mine. I, I did not command myself to be too <laughs> inflammatory because the first thing that I could think of is that woman, 33, learns you can write things down to relieve the pressure to remember them. I, for some reason, am not good about writing things down. I put them in my digital calendar and then they're theoretically there, but I feel like I don't have like a mental visual of what I have to do and I get very overwhelmed. But I'm also kind of like having a year of yes moment. So suddenly I just have like all these coffees and these like dinner drinks and these like events. And then you go to those and you meet more people who want to have more coffees and invite you to more events. And it's all great. It's all good stuff. But it really overwhelms me. And I was like freaking out about this week because I've had like three busy weeks in a row, which to busy people listening are like, boo fucking who. But I don't do well to being like aggressively busy. But I just took like 15 minutes over the weekend to write it all down in my planner and color code everything. And I was like, I don't have enough to do. <laughs> Yeah, and also, like, you know, as a busy person, you can plan things out to, like, if you're going to be in a neighborhood, move a coffee this. Or, you know, anyone can get coffee with me if you come in my neighborhood and, like, all that stuff. Or, like, oh, I'm going to plan the dog. Welcome to the busy Don't invite Millie. We're not going to say anything more than this other than don't invite Millie to coffee in Midtown Manhattan unless you're making her the face of your goddamn brand. (laughs) Well, don't invite me for a nine-minute coffee either. And if you invite me to coffee, buy me fucking coffee. Pay for the coffee. Pay for the coffee. And that's that's last week's headline. Yeah. Last week I... I went to a, a coffee that is for this Friday, and I just sat there for like 45 minutes waiting. But, you know, I did make sure oh that I didn't text the person like, hey, where are you? Because this is like an important person, and I, I, I it would not have been good had I revealed that I was oh. like, I'm here. Where are you? She, she would have been like, you know what? We don't need coffee anymore. 
I've done that. I went to a birthday party the day before. Oh, that's worse. I waited to. I went to the birthday. Got dressed up. Did my makeup. It was like I had to take the train. I was at the bar alone for thirty to forty minutes. Oh, um, and then I realized that the birthday party was actually Saturday, not Friday. Mm-hmm. Yes. So this will yeah. happen. You know, if if I write things down. But Elise, I've always noticed that you are an aggressively. Like you just, you're some, both of you, both of you, but at least you're somebody like, I just, I just know that if I tell you something, it's getting written down. It's not going to be an issue. If, yeah. if I have something digitally, you're going to be like, I didn't have that written down. Where'd that come from? And I have to admit, <laughs> well, I put it on there without telling you. <laughs> well, okay. I, my high school, I don't know if this is like a thing high schools did, but my high school gave us a hand, like a written planner yeah. at the top of every year. Mm-hmm. And it like rewired my brain I have to have I cannot do a digital calendar I have to have a written planner and I have to write everything down in it immediately upon it coming through and like if it is written in the planner so it shall be if it does not get written in the planner it's gone from my mind so Mm. it's like it can be a double-edged sword sometimes because sometimes I'm like on the go and I don't have time to write something in the planner and then it doesn't get written down and suddenly I've like booked my double booked myself or done something crazy or forgotten that something was supposed to happen or whatever. But I am a like written calendar planner, bitch. I get these ones at the beginning of every year from this place called golden coil. And I have like, they, they let you pick your layout, all these little add ons. It's like, that is my treat at the top of every year is that I give myself this fancy planner and it, is absolutely in charge of my entire Have you ever life. um like lost it like meaningfully into the year? I have never lost I've never lost it like physically lost it, but I have poured water on it and irreparably <laughs> destroyed it before and it's wow. very bad. <laughs> like, very wow. It well, really sucks and it upsets me a lot. So. Well, I I'm a Miss Google Calendar bitch. Mm-hmm. I fucking put everything in Google Calendar. I'm talking um, recently Google actually did this thing where they could spam like brands were spamming people and adding calendar things. But like it'd be like, oh, here's like I'm like, what's this calendar invite? And it's like 20 percent off sale of Ooh. this thing. Like it's, it was really fucked up. And like I'm telling you, two weeks ago, they literally stopped this. But I'll put like I'll put shows there. Um, I'll put dates. I put a lot of my dates on there, you know? So when people are like, oh my God, Facebook's hacking to your information, all that shit. I'm like too fucking late. Yeah, yeah. And also sunk costs. Yeah, I know. It also is good for me because sometimes I can feel like I didn't get anything done or I'm not accomplished or anything like that. And I can just look back at my month and be like, holy shit, Millie, you did all this stuff, you know? So I think that's like the good thing about digital. And yeah, if I don't write it down, like immediately, it fucking, I'll forget. Um, But I will say my pet peeve with digital calendar invites is that, Sometimes people like I'll invite people to a meeting or something like that or whatever. And someone's like, can you make a calendar invite for me? Like they'll they'll email me that. That's my biggest thing with work is that like I have to train myself. And if Bridget's listening, I'm not always good at this, but I I do try to be like, can I accomplish this in the time that it takes me to tell this person this? Or is there a huge reason I can't? Like I have to jump onto like a podcast or something. There are people – 
People That's don't crazy. ask themselves that much. No, definitely that not. That much. Or can I answer this question myself? If I if I Google, you know what I mean? People do not like fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. I will say to answer your thing though, Thank I you. was thinking about this, Amanda. What's my little headline? Woman aged undisclosed <laughs> learns. I'm just gonna use the same thing because this is Please. something I learned this week. Learns that maybe 25 degrees. And snowing is not the best conditions to ride a moped. Oh. <laughs> oh. And that's uh, because I wanted to save $20 on an Uber. And um, I can I feel took your it, chapped lips from here. <laughs> it was, you know what it was? It was literally the tears from my eyes. And then it burned on my skin because they were freezing in real time. I don't know oh my what the God. fuck. I don't know. Yeah, you know, listen. Wait, were the and tears being produced by cold or were you actively weeping? No, it was cold. It was okay. cold tears. You know, your your eyes water up. Yeah. But when yeah. you're going 12, 20 miles an hour on a road in the and it's like snowing, then they're like kind of freezing. It burned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I that day was like, oh, I can go bike to get my tires filled, but going two blocks like the right right in your face. Yeah, no, no. Treat yourself to an Uber Millie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Danny and I, one time we visited Montreal in the winter, which was like very, very cold. And we went to see, they have like a beautiful church. I think it's called Notre Dame also in their city center. And we went to go see it. And like the weather shock from the cold outside to the like warmth inside made Danny's eyes start watering so much that it looked like he was like overcome by the power of Christ. Like he was because we walked into this church and he was just like, Ugh. And I was like, is everything good? It's a really pretty church. And he was just like, no, it's the weather. I feel great. And then when he went to the Barbie museum, he started crying again. Yeah, but, yeah, but that was course, just about the majesty reason. of Christ. Yeah, Elise, majesty. what's your, what's your clickbaity headline of your weekend? Okay. My clickbaity headline, I'm going to format it differently. It's going to be one of those ones that starts with a quote, right? So it's in quotations, my life has irreparably changed. Elise Morales on having her apartment professionally cleaned because I did have a cleaning service come to my apartment this weekend. We've done this once before, but it was like over a year ago. And we kept being like, we should really do this like once a quarter. We should really do this once a quarter. We have finally had someone come again. Everything feels different. Amazing. It is. I mean, spring in your step. Yeah, and it's not like I live in like filth or whatever. But But in New York, nothing feels clean. In New York, nothing ever feels clean unless a professional has come and detailed your apartment. Yeah, and like there is a professional level of clean that I personally do not have the skills to attain in my apartment. Um, And so now everything, and we have two animals. So anyway, someone came over the weekend, got a cleaning service. We sent Rusty to daycare. Danny and I went to the museum, had a lovely day, came back to a sparklingly beautiful apartment. And it uh, just the the level of calm that has descended upon me since having my apartment cleaned. Listen, that's my goal. My goal is I, I was doing once a month cleaning service and that's great. Once you go there, I mean, we got to put it on pause for a little bit. But my goal is twice a month. If you can get a professional yeah. cleaner twice a month, at once a week is too much. Once a week is for people who don't throw out their own Yeah, trash. if you're just a couple yeah. or like a person, a person like you don't need once a, a week. 
when I was nannying, like they had their their housekeeper, they had a nanny and the housekeeper, and the housekeeper cleaned everything in the house every single day. Yeah, that's people who are like they don't want to load a dishwasher, they don't want to do, and shit. they don't want dust ever, and they don't want dust ever. I get it. I'm just you know whatever. But if I can get twice a month, such a treat, such a treat. And it, yeah. but yeah, exactly. Like just even once. Just coming back to a, you know what I like? Going on trips and getting a cleaning person. Ooh, I think that's what I'm going to do. That's the next yeah. level. Yeah. Perhaps and that's what we'll back, do next. When you come back is, from your trip and the house is clean. And the pet's already gone, so you don't really have to worry about that. You don't have to worry mm-hmm. about like how long it's taking. Yeah. Also, this, our building is like, it's definitely pre-war, mm-hmm. but it's just been renovated. So like the dust is just always dusting and it doesn't, my, my sweet husband's snoring has gotten a lot better. We're on mm-hmm. a much better track. Um, thanks to a lot of money spent on various devices. But I think the main issue is just that there's fucking dust everywhere. And as soon as you clean it, it comes back. Those are all, those are all really uh, lovely. So self, write things down, hmm. clean your apartment, mm-hmm. and um, take an Uber. Do take not, do not <laughs> take use – Take an Uber when it's cold. <laughs> or a Lyft. Or a Lyft. Take or a cab, of course. Of course. Or just, or just support. You're yellow. Yeah. Taxi drivers. Okay. The only thing about doing those fun intros is that then we have to get to the news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but before we do that, you know what? I'm going to stretch this a little longer because you do have some very exciting uh, comedic perform- comedy concerts coming up. Yes. My comedy concert is next Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. at Union Hall in Brooklyn. I'm doing my solo show again. It's um, it is Harry Potter themed, but I don't think you have to be like a Harry Potter person to be into it. It's really mostly just like storytelling, funny, uh, experiences that I have had throughout the fandom and, uh, and also like me exploring my feelings about how it's sad when someone who's your hero becomes a disappointing person. I learned uh, so oh- much about you at it. <laughs> Like, I, I really didn't know did. that you professionally sorted people. I did. I, pres- I I did tour the the country sorting professionally. And I do do a sorting ceremony in the show yeah. as well. So if you come, I will professionally sort you. The woman at mine's, at the one I went to, the last one, was very game. It's it. People like to be sorted. But also, <laughs> as I talk about in the show, it brings up a lot of emotions. People can become enraged. Sure. And, and angry and start kind of yelling at the person who sorted them, which is difficult. But <laughs> I don't oh expect that to happen at the show. Mm-hmm. And um, Lorena Russi is opening. They're a really funny comedian from the CBS Showcase. Uh, and they're like a WGA nominee. Really funny. Chris Burns, Fat Carrie Bradshaw, does play Dumbledore in the show, makes a cameo. Um, Danny makes a cameo as Midwestern Hagrid. Mm -hmm. Um, So we just we're gonna have a lot of fun. It's again that's Wednesday, uh, March eighth, International Women's Day, seven thirty in Brooklyn. Please come. I can't wait. Oh my god, I'm like so excited. excited. I'm so excited. And um, on March 11th, I'm doing a show with Fat Carrie Bradshaw, Chris Burns. and Betch at large. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Um, what we're doing is we're doing a satirical uh, <laughs> pyramid scheme conference. <laughs> so if you've ever seen the LuLaRoe doc and those big oh, conferences so that excited. they have, we're doing the same thing. With the show, the premise is that me and Chris own a, a conglomerate of multi-lever marketing schemes, and you're going to hear testimonials. You're going to see product demonstrations. You're going to see us get sued. It's going to be a fun time. It's called ScheMeCon. It's at Littlefield on March 11th 
Uh, doors open at seven. Show starts at eight. It's going to be timing. great. Google we have Cal, a drag. Write them down. Yes, we're going to have a drag queen. Um, the the queen of Westchester. Oh. Uh, yeah, so you're going to, hopefully you guys buy in $5,000 for some leggings. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what, don't miss yes. out because yes. you will yep. be missing a lot. <laughs> I'm excited. I always just tell Mike, I'm like, I bought two tickets for these. I don't give him any other information. So I'm excited well, to just bring him up to this one blind. Well, he's going to, you know, he'll figure it Maybe out. I'll tell him that he does actually out. have to pay $5,000 for leggings at the end. <laughs> no, he could be our expert lawyer. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, that's true. I imagine you're going to need a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, American Fever Dream listeners. I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you are searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone on any occasion. Now it's easier to find gifts made by independent sellers for all of the people in your life, like the pickleballers, I know plenty of those, the jazz fan, the artist, the pasta lover, whatever niche interest they have, you can find an incredible gift on Etsy. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there is something for everyone. There is so much pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas specifically for my dad, but my dad loves flying, he loves airplanes, he loves aviation, and he never gets sick of a cute little gift that has a reference to that. And the inventory for that on Etsy is incredible. I hope my dad lives for 200 years because I can get him a birthday present related to aviation or planes from Etsy for every single one of them, if not hundreds and hundreds of years more. There really is that much. A gifting moment is always around the corner, but whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Alrighty, so now we must, we simply must address the news in the United States of America. Before we get into a Republican you not, I want to look back a little further than this weekend, which we just did. Did either of you take a women and gender studies class in college? No, No? which I think is odd, but I didn't. I don't know. I wasn't like, I I think when I was younger, even like, even in college, I was always like, I'm a feminist, but I didn't feel like, yeah motivated to learn more which is like sad sad to admit but that's like not where my head was at at that time my college was really small and we had concentrations whatever Mm. but um we took like so all of our classes would be really broad but then we would study things like smaller and in anthropology i learned a lot about matriarchies so i can talk to you about three distinct matriarchies all (laughs) over the country one in china one in central america and one in africa and it's fascinating the matriarchies but and it is fascinating and i guess that's maybe what ron DeSantis. Uh, doesn't want you to know. I will. I took probably a dozen women's studies class. My favorite one was because I went to women's baby. college. Was called the- <laughs> Was called <laughs> theories of intimacy. Ooh, it was fantastic. Ooh. It was so hard, and she was like really hard on us the whole time. And then me and my bestie got A's, and it was like the best. I don't think I, that I, pe- I peaked. It was the most rewarding. What? Moment, it, yeah. Uh, what, what is a lesson that you learned, or like what was the theory that? I mean, it was I'm a so lot of like it was a lot of like bell hooks. It was just sort of like what like what it actually means to be in it was it was more about like intimacy with like one another and with family members and like stuff like that and really like all about love energy where it's like bell hooks writes a lot about love but she doesn't necessarily mean romantic love she means like the vulnerability of love so um 
yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot about that. That's it was so great. cool. I know. Yeah. I, know. I really wish I had taken more to read. Yeah. I wish I had taken those classes. I think I was like very number one, like just like singularly focused on making sure I got all of my credits in. Yeah. And it kind of for me that was me. intimacy class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, and because I was like an international relations major in Spanish or whatever, it was like it stopped me from taking any classes that couldn't like I did I I didn't feel like I could take anything that didn't directly relate or give me credit towards my majors. So, but I also don't think I was looking. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, some kids in Florida might, might not have this opportunity if they go to public school. So Republican, you not ban gender studies classes. Jesus Christ. A new bill introduced by a Florida state representative would allow the Florida Board of Governors to tell the public universities to, quote, remove from its programs any major or minor in critical race theory, gender studies, usually, usually like I mean, I don't know where you can find most women's studies programs are now women and gender studies programs, and if they weren't already, or intersectionality. They also uh, can't instruct on any derivative major reminder of these belief systems, but they don't really uh, describe those belief systems. This bill is specifically designed to follow through on Ron DeSantis's earlier proposal to ensure taxpayers aren't paying for things like zombie studies. That is his hilarious uh, metaphor for things like women and gender studies. The bill would also require universities to, quote, promote the philosophical underpinnings of Western civilization and include studies of this nation's historical documents. So this is always just hilarious when they're like, we can't... um, we can't indoctrinate children with these things, but they must learn about the underpinnings of Western civilization. Also, that's what fucking elementary, middle, and high school is. Like yeah. in my in my elementary school, we did a whole like where we a whole lesson where we like pretended we were in the Revolutionary War and dressed up and like made <laughs> candles and read the Constitution. And that's drag a, a guy, like, it is drag, because a guy who dressed as Ben Franklin did show up and, like, <laughs> act like Ben Franklin. <laughs> so, like, every single school I know studied the founding documents of America. There is no way you get through any amount of schooling in the country without some basic understanding <laughs> yeah. of those things. And the point of college is to choose what you would like to learn more about. Yeah. And the thing is, there's a few like really fucked up things that are happening here. Um, But two things that might that, you know, I'm thinking of is, you know, again, K through 12 public school, like those are things that are all designed on. I mean, that are all decided by a board. And, you know, again, those board that board tends to be conservative and they're already like children don't really get a choice. To you know, but in college, like that's supposed to be the time that you craft your schedule and all that. So, um, and if a class doesn't get enrollment, it gets canceled. So the thing of like, I don't want our taxpayers to pay for zombie studies. It's like if that class gets a lot of demand, they still have to like those professors still, and maybe there's something about tying in real world examples or or scientific or whatever, like not real world, but like fantastical examples into like real world current events and all of that. Um, So there's that. But another thing that's disturbing about this is that in Florida, um, public universities and public colleges, they're not the easiest to get into, but 
it is like the way that many, many low, like lower income people get to go to school. There's the bright future scholarship where it's like, if you get a certain amount of, if your GPA is over like three, you know, please don't quote me on this or like three points, whatever. And you get this on your SATs, you get to go to college for very little or free or like a big percentages. So that's why people opt in instead of trying to go to a, a nice private school or not nice, but like a private school or an Ivy, they go to university of Florida. They go to UCF, which university of central Florida to save their family money and also be closer. But now if they're not able to study what they want to study or at least learn or be exposed to different viewpoints, like, it's kind of like, well, I'd, you know, th- then what's the alternative? Go to a private school and get and be in fucking thousands and thousands of dollars of debt. Like, it's so fucked up. Like, and also these aren't children. These are kids who are 18, 21, you know, old enough to serve in the military, but they're not old enough to learn about bell hooks. Like, yeah, there's something really sinister to me, exactly to your point, Millie, about basically saying like, We're going to make it so a large swath of like poor kids, brown kids, poor women who are more likely to be affected by their abortion bans aren't going to have access to classes that will help them question their situation or examine the root causes of like things that have caused real pain and suffering in these kids' lives. Like they should be able to go to college a poor black kid from Florida should be able to go to college and like engage in critical race theory and learn more about their own situation. But now the government in Florida is basically like, no, we're going to deny you access to that. Yeah. It is very interesting that a lot of the conversation has been stop talking about critical race theory around DeSantis. It's a college thing. And now he's like, okay, I'm going to go after it in college. And like you were saying, it's like, if you're going to like these are adults that are paying for their education. Like what are you going to teach them? They're going to get there day 1 and they are going to like memorize the preamble. That's not what they're paying for. They are paying to take the classes that are going to get them to their professional goals. They can they can select those. But you know, we're talking about just, you know, not having these types of classes. But I want to go into detail about just how um, draconian they want to go about this. So the bill would also ban the use of public funds to, quote, promote, support, or maintain any programs or campus activities that, quote, espouse diversity, equity, or inclusion. But none of these are really defined, and that's on purpose. They just want to scare people, I think, out of even getting close to these topics. Like, if they don't define diversity, equity, inclusion, then they don't have to tell you what you can say. State lawmakers have also proposed demanding colleges provide a list a list, lists of all staff involved in groups or teaching related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and even potentially retain emails, text messages, and social media messages from those people. So that that would become evidence if this bill becomes law. There is more. uh, Like Millie was talking about, there's a lot of sort of like political interference with all education and in terms of the state colleges. Political Political appointees are on the board of trustees and they are going to have potentially more influence over faculty hiring decisions. They've already fired the president of New College, and they want to weaken the tenure system. So even professors who theoretically uh, can say whatever they want would not feel safe speaking freely. They basically just don't want any college professor that works in the public Florida you know, school university system to feel like they can talk about literally these through diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're not even talking about critical race theory yet. This is what's so... 
um, like kind of wild to me is like a year ago, a lot of these people and their supporters were saying, no, we're just talking about critical race theory in elementary school. We just don't want that. And we're like, okay, it's not there, but whatever. And here we are a year later and they're like, no, no, we don't want critical race theory anywhere. Not in the colleges, not anywhere where our our money is going. And yeah, exactly for the reason says, it's easy for some people to say, well, I won't go to those schools, but that's not an option for most people that want a, a secondary education. Yeah, it's really, it's really like comically villainous. Like it's very much, again, I think we've said this before on the pod, plot of the fifth Harry Potter book. It's the plot of Wicked. Like they're rounding up the professors of shiz. It's happening. And um, it is, It is always scary when access to certain types of knowledge are being tamped down. Colleges have always been a source of political activism. We've seen it again and again. And so I could see this law being interpreted to say, like, you can't have a black student union. I remember University of Delaware had like a Latina sorority. Like, can you have that stuff? Can you have the I mean, I know they don't call it gay straight alliance anymore, but can't whatever it's called now. Like, can you still have that on your campus? It feels like we're, it feels like this type of thing is designed to be like, you can try, but it's going to make a lot of trouble and no professor is going to want to be associated with it. And I think that the fact that they're attacking professors and they're attacking the actual educators means that a lot of really good professors are probably not going to want to teach in Florida anymore. So they're further degrading the education that these like students are going to get. Cause number one, they can't take all the classes they want to take. And number two, they're getting professors who, I mean, maybe some people will stick around in like a moral morally to help the kids, but they're also, I think if professors have other opportunities, they're going to take them elsewhere where they can actually teach their subject and not be worried that because they said something about I don't know, race or how race plays into one of their subjects because it plays into almost every single subject you could possibly fucking teach that they're going to lose their tenure and they're going to lose their job and they're going to get sued by the state and all of this other crap. Yeah. And then veterans are going to teach grad school with no, with no degrees. I mean, that's what they want. That's what they want. They're literally getting education. Like already there's a teacher shortage in Florida. They're literally like making it so hostile for K through 12 teachers. And now they're going to do that for colleges. And it's just like, it's literally a long-term goal to get more uneducated people. Um, and probably a multicultural uneducated people um, so that they can build their voting block instead of doing anything to change. And again, like, There are serious issues in Florida right now. I mean, I literally, I feel like, I feel like such a boomer. I have not, I cannot fucking mute that I feel like you, you and the, you and like the head of the like Miami Dade Socialist Club have the same for you page. Yeah. Well, no, but I'm also like that video that I made that came out over the weekend. I'm like, I want to mute these comments, but there are real, like, there are really don't serious issues. Don't look at issues. those, Millie. I, can't, I don't know how to mute them. But it's like oh, they're mentioning you. issues yeah. uh, in Florida. And and I'm just like the cynic in me is like, this is a long-term voting, th- like to create this voter block. And also I'm like, this is how he's fucking creating buzz for 
his stupid election. It's like Black History Month, he's going to lean in and fucking try to ban African American studies. And Women's History Month is about to start and he's trying to ban fucking gender studies. And what the fuck is going to happen, Native American? Like, he's just going to keep going instead of. He's again, got con- he stole our content calendar. <laughs> yeah, he's starting a content calendar and, and using bills to do this. And he's talking about taxpayer money being lost with zombie studies. How much fucking taxpayer money is he mm-hmm. wasting doing this shit? Yeah, and sending immigrants all over the place and uh, on planes to do stunts and tax breaks for idiots. Yeah, and investigating drag shows and stuff. It's like he's wasting unbelievable amounts of money on issues that don't exist. But you're a hundred percent right that this is all because he wants to be the Republican nominee in 2024, and this is how he knows how to get headlines. He doesn't know how to get headlines by doing anything that'll actually help Florida with like the ecological crisis that is going on down there, like helping with actually improving their educational scores in people's economic situation. Yeah. Well, and, and housing has literally gone up so significantly, just like the people in my family cannot afford to like renting. has gone so crazy purchasing a house. And, and again, because they keep, like lotting tax breaks, all these people from different places who sold their houses in cash are going to Florida, buying up, and, and private companies are buying up property too. And and like people can't afford to live there, you know? So it's just getting to this point where it's literally going to be retirees. No one's, they, they, no one's going to be working at a grocery store. Like it's going to be this huge divide and that's what Ron DeSantis is fueling. And instead of addressing that or actually working for working class people, he's banning people reading from (laughs) Evensler and Jackson. Well, the future of Florida is simply not important to him. It does not matter to him. No, he would like his address to be in Washington DC in four years. He is, he is unconcerned with, with what this does to the schools because his kids are, don't go to these schools and he doesn't plan to keep them there. Hey there, overwhelmed foodies. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same with the same fish picture? Fear not, because amidst the chaos, there's one shining star worth your culinary affection. Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef design recipes, conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you and the entire family covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week, and they serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it is economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. So for a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash feverdream. That's homechef.com slash feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash feverdream. You must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Another, we have to stay on Republican Unite for another 
Um, absolutely a hard to believe story. We've been discussing some of the state level conservative lawmakers' aspirations to ban drag performances for a while now. And we now have a state that has become the first to pass that legislation. It is Tennessee. The pair of bills would ban, quote, adult cabaret performances, including male or female impersonators from taking place in public or any location where the performance could just be viewed by a minor. I know this is like not funny, but like the amount of times I leave my house, I look like a man, I'm wearing a baseball cap. Like imagine just getting arrested in Nashville because somebody thinks you're just, you're just like, there's a kid over there and you're in drag. Yeah. A first violation of the law would be a class A misdemeanor that carries a sentence of up to 11 months and 29 days in prison and a fine. And then subsequent violations would be classified as a felony punishable by up to six years in prison. So there is another step here. Tennessee Governor Bill Lee has to sign the law, but he's widely expected to. Nashville has a thriving drag scene, and performers say they don't really understand their fate. They don't know how they're supposed to know if somebody is under 18 in the audience. Like somebody was telling an outlet that they normally do a drag performance with like a big public performance with Dolly Parton. But like, are they going to get dragged off the stage if a cop sees that there's like a a kid in the audience? And what does public even mean? Is it, you know, like is a bar setting public for some of these laws? Not necessarily, but it doesn't matter if a kid is there, if if a minor is there. But, But more importantly, the biggest thing here to remember and to repeat as you're talking to people about this, and this is something I need to do more, is to just repeat that drag is not adult entertainment anyway. Like, the, the content of drag is not inherently violent, so it doesn't need to be concealed from minors, and it is not inherently sexually explicit. Sure, there is some. Like, if you're going to go to, like, Bushwick at 2 a.m. For, for an event that is clearly labeled as adults only, maybe you're going to have some sexually explicit content. But a majority of drag performances are, are not, and that is not the point of them. But if this bill becomes law, no one knows. Like, what would Nashville Pride look like? This is an event that brings a lot of tourism to the state. And many LGBTQ business groups and other advocacy groups signed an op-ed that said, this is just bad business. This doesn't make sense. We don't know what we can do. Do you know how many fucking bachelorette parties come down here for drag brunches? Exactly. This is not going to work. So I think that's why there might be you know, a little bit of hope that this this governor might not sign it, though he has been happy to sign anti-trans legislation in, in the past. And just a couple other things here is that the you know advocates note that any, like I said, drag is not adult entertainment. So drag is already... Like, drag is not exempt from public obscenity rules. It's not like you can be naked as long as it's – like, there are already laws that can catch the type of offense that these laws are designed to catch um, to to prevent children from seeing. And I just thought this was really noteworthy and worth saying that in the state of Tennessee, no drag performer or business sponsoring a drag performance has ever been charged under Tennessee's obscenity laws. It's They literally do not want these people to exist in public is really the thing, right? And – you know, I admittedly am not a white woman, so I've never been in Nashville. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, again, I imagine that, you know, I know it's a big place with a lot of bars and stuff. And I imagine that if it's like Vegas or if it's like Miami or something. It's like the biggest music city in the exactly. country. But, but with, or in New Orleans too, yeah. the, the way that you get people to come into your restaurant or bar is that you leave the doors or windows open and people can kind of get a sense of the scene. And, and if people are walking by and seeing a really fun drag performance, they'll be like, Oh, let's go check that out. And, Maybe some of those people who are walking by have a, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. this is just not tenable 
for a business to have. You know, again, drag drag performances, people walking by and seeing that, they're like, oh, I want to go in there and see what's up with that. And if there's one person that has a kid walking by, like, come on, it's it's not about... And again, most of the time, even, even in Bushwick, as I've seen a lot, if you've seen a drag performer get ready, they're wearing many, many, many it layers. So far they're wearing nudity. three fucking they're- wigs. They're wearing because they're changing outfits and stuff. Like it is not. It is a costume. We need it's- to watch. We need to have Ron to see these people watch a drag queen go through their tucking process and then I think that they will be fairly certain that no kids are seeing anything well the thing that's perverse to them is literally a man dressed like a woman it's not about the sexual stuff and again it's about honestly drag culture has gone mainstream drag race is probably one of the only (laughs) things keeping Viacom alive at this point I mean let's be real and um yeah, it's just these people cannot handle again how quickly and again quick is is relative because people have been doing drag forever. But they people cannot handle how in their eyes quickly the pendulum has swung, how out of touch they became, how it mass general culture, how drag race tours sell the fuck out. You know, they can't handle it and they want to like take the clock back by using laws you know to do it and it, it's just disturbing and sad and also like in every i mean something that i thought was really interesting and cool is that in every like article they're using people dressed up as dolly parton in drag and literally the same outfits that, that's kind of the beauty of drag is taking the same outfits that a, a famous pop star has made and and seeing someone replicate it with much less ink, you know, that's part of the creativity and the beauty. So it's like, if you're cool with seeing Dolly Parton's titties in a glow cleavage shirt, you're going to be, you know, and again, it's like, these people don't care, Mm -hmm. you know, I I, I don't know. Yeah, I agree with all that. And I think that what's like, what's interesting is like, in our, we've had these laws and gotten rid of them before. Like there, this is hearkening back to some really dark shit that used to govern everywhere where you had to have three gender appropriate pieces of clothing on at all times. Mm -hmm. Those are like the laws that were in place when like the Stonewall riot happened, Mm -hmm. which is like, was a big part of just like policing trans people, but also drag performances not being allowed in general. And it raises all these questions that were raised back then and were reasons why all of these laws were found to be fucking ridiculous because it's like, what are three gender appropriate articles of clothing? Because to some people, for me to have like pants on is not gender appropriate articles of clothing or whatever. So there's that element of it. And also, we used to have a ton of laws that governed what people could say and do on stage. Uh, like Lenny Bruce was arrested yeah. constantly for talking about anything to do with sex, even at shows that were for adults in comedy yeah. clubs. And it actually like ruined his life to do that. He went Mm -hmm. up against that. So all of these laws are also things that we've done before to the detriment of art, culture, LGBTQ people, marginalized people, society. Like we've literally been here before and everyone was like, Hmm, these are actually pretty bad. Well, and I mean, I can't help but think about the people who would be enforcing this. And I mean, 
again, this is a conversation that these are things that have happened, that have done, that have been done before. And it's, I mean, it's a huge conversation people have now about pride parades and if police should even be allowed in, in, in pride parades and marching because so much of what cops did back in the day was literally fucking monitor historical villain yeah historically like making sure that men aren't kissing other men you know and arresting people for that so it's just and i mean i think that's a really great point there's this really um a a really great podcast uh left anchor (laughs) um and it had michael hobbs and another trans rights activist and they talk a lot about you know um all these like you know all the, they really talk about the New York Times like reactionary um, articles and op-ed pieces that are anti-trans. But what really is uh, sticking out is that a lot of the same language is used from gay marriage and from the the things that people you know people complained about gay you know and it, they're literally reusing it again. It's not. Yeah. It's like it's like a textbook thing, you know. So nothing that they're doing is exciting or different. It's just like unfortunate that we just can't learn this lesson. Yeah. I think something that I've had to remember too, and Matt and Bowen said this on Las Culturistas is that it's like the drag stuff. It's also they're targeting it because it's kind of like what they think is the most visible uh, representation of queerness because what is being gay if not like not adhering to the biggest gender norm there is. So they're always going to reach for the most like culturally visible relevant thing that's attached to to a queerness. So it's like, yeah, it, it, it's it's hard to figure out their logic for going after this because there isn't any. It's just it's just they're like it's the gayest thing that we don't like and that we can go after. And it's like if you don't want your kids to see drag queens, th- don't let your kids see drag queens. You yeah, what does Beyonce mean? say? It's like, I'm not I don't parent your kids, you parent your kids. Like, yeah, Cardi B says that too. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's honestly, but again, it's not a, you know, the the Republican yeah. philosophy, conservative philosophy is like, I can tell you what to do. You can't tell me what to do. <laughs> and that is that's that on that. Yeah. Speaking of hide your kids, hide your wife in Los Angeles, <laughs> Harvey Weinstein. This is this is where we're <laughs> moving on to. You heard it here. Second. Women talking. <laughs> Women or no, talking. Sorry. She said. She said. She said. <laughs> oh yeah, I still need to watch that. In Los Angeles, Harvey Weinstein was sentenced to another sixteen years in prison for three counts of rape and sexual assault. So we have we have our next set of stories. It's kind of a good news, bad news situation. The good news is that Harvey Weinstein will probably die in prison. The bad news is that R. Kelly might not. I kind of feel a little abolitionist ping saying that, but here's yeah. the background. So Weinstein was charged with seven counts of rape and sexual assault in Los Angeles, and the jury found him not guilty of one and could not decide on three others. So that was seven charges, and those were already down from 11, but the prosecutors had dropped four, just like random evidence. But just a lot of allegation and activity here. You know, even five years after, there's just so many women and survivors who were available to potentially be, um, you know, plaintiffs here. The victims weren't named publicly, but one did come forward after the verdict. I think it was um, an Eastern European model in her 50s. And this will add to Weinstein's existing 23-year sentence for rape and sexual assault in New York. He'll serve them concurrently. So as soon as he's done, he'll be bi-coastal, I guess. As soon as he's <laughs> done with his 23 years in New York, he'll head out to the head out to LA. 
and then finished 16 years there. And, you know, this is, this is an old man and this is, this would be, it would take an incredibly healthy man to live another, you know, 40 years. I don't think that's Mr. Weinstein. So the kind of takeaway here is that this basically guarantees that Harvey Weinstein will die in prison. And that's a statement we can, I guess, finally make five years after Me Too. Another, a little bit more kind of context for some recent headlines, and then we'll get into kind of a broader Me Too reflection is that R. Kelly got some news suggesting he could get out of prison by the time he's 80. So R. Kelly is 56, and a judge handed down a 20-year sentence for child sex abuse convictions, but he can basically serve those simultaneously. So he's already serving 30. The judge says that he could serve this sentence simultaneously with those New York federal racketeering and sex trafficking convictions rather than like after he completed the, the sentence. He might have to do like one a couple extra years or something, but you know, one factor that led to the judge rejecting a consecutive sentence, keeping Kelly in prison for life was one, he was like, he's not going to live to 100. Just like, I don't know, it's just sort of like, just let him let him out or something. He's going to be 80. He might not even live until then. But also was that he seemed to not necessarily buy from the prosecution that the young girls that R. Kelly groomed feared for their physical well-being. It was clear that they were worried they were going to lose affection, that they could lose material benefits, but that he said, it just doesn't seem, I believe it was a man, it just doesn't seem to me that it rises to the fear of bodily harm. So oh that was God. that was part of it. Didn't he like fully kidnap people? He beat him like he beat his wife, like whatever. But. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, mean, yeah, I don't want to be around that man. I'm scared to be around that man. Yeah. yeah there's also if someone's sexually assaulting you, you probably fear for your bodily. Yeah. These are committing crimes every day. Yeah. So it's really crazy for him to be charged with the things he's charged with, but and found guilty on these charges but have someone say that the victims could have been not afraid for their bodily and that affects like, the sentencing yeah during that time well you know how old is this judge when was the last like he's never been you know he's a man you know there's a lot of shit i, I guess ju- yeah yeah sorry i know there's I know a lot of good reasons to like <laughs> no those are there i know there's a lot of good reasons to have people serve sentences simultaneously but it's like i don't know if i were a criminal i'd be like why stop now i'm just gonna serve them alongside each other but you know this is like i said five years after uh, five years and change after the Me Too movement basically started with Harvey Weinstein. And now we have him, you know, once again, I think we knew he was going to die in prison before, but now he's he's probably definitely going to die in prison. And these are the marquee convictions of that movement. So we're five years later. And, you know, I think the prominent kind of related headlines are Amber Heard kind of being eviscerated in the press. Um, time's up. I don't know if you guys saw the ceased operations because of a lot of weird internal weirdness, some of which involved simping for Andrew Cuomo. So a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, um, you know, not great outcomes at the other side of this, but, you know, to end here, how do you guys think the eruption of the Me Too movement continues to impact how we talk about gender and power today? You know, sometimes it seems like I never work with men, but I do think that there's like I feel like men generally don't put on the same moves that they used to. And they're very aggressively, oh, is this a Me Too thing about, you know, like, it does seem like at the absolute worst levels in terms of of men with power literally raping Mm -hmm. subordinates, it seems Mm -hmm. like there's more awareness for that. But what else do you guys think has changed that's meaningful? I feel like it really, (laughs) I mean... Not to use Twitter terms, but it really was a cultural reset for how we talked about power and gender dynamics. I think that we, you know, and and I think that p- 
people are very quick to call out the overcorrection or oversimplification of a lot of things. And it's like, oh, Louis C.K. or even like the Aziz Ansari thing. But I do think that it began a conversation that we're still five years later learning how to have. And we, we talk about the clumsiness and on all of that. And, and, um, you know, about what it, what it means to actually have power over someone. What does no actually mean? What does yes mean? I appreciate that. Like, you know, without convicting, like without convicting someone like Harvey Weinstein, we cannot have, we cannot begin to have conversations or, you know, the conversations we're having now about what does it mean for coercion, which is another thing that we're still learning how to talk about and discuss about like, People wearing someone down and all those things, you know, I I do think like my TikTok algorithm are people every day talking about uncomfortable conversations and all that. So I do think that these things are um, these two cases being so extreme, like the whatever have really set the tone and, and allowed people space to talk about these things. I think personally where I would love to see the movement go or what I would like to see in the future is that yes, Harvey Weinstein is a terrible person. Yes. R. Kelly is a terrible person. I mean, I know in the case of R. Kelly, he's had a lot of abuses and stuff like in his life to him. So like, you know, abusers abuse, you know, whatever. But at the same time, both of them are great examples of men who had infrastructures around them, supporting, enabling, pushing, and all those people that did that are basically off scot-free. Like Harvey Weinstein, you know, that's the that's the entire premise of the assistant, you know, and all this stuff is that they have and all those people have now moved on to other jobs and other roles. And I would love to see some accountability and some discussion about the people that enable and allow this to move forward. And that's where I feel like we're missing. But I do think that in talking about the most extreme examples, we have had a cultural reset that has affected everybody. But again, Amber Heard, Megan the Stallion is another one where, you know, that's a woman who was not believed. Not So we still have a long way to go, but it has done something. Yeah, I agree with everything that Millie had to say. I think that the Me Too movement was a huge awakening, especially for the younger generations that were going through it about like what is and is not acceptable. And I think people are just more comfortable speaking out. That's mm -hmm. not to say that it's like easy to speak out, but I mean, you see on... TikTok and all of this stuff with Gen Z, like that women are more willing to call out bad dates or talk about their experiences or say like, this person was creepy to me or speak up for themselves in those moments. It's the situation still has a long way to go. And I think that we've also seen a massive backlash from people who want to hold on to the other mentality Again, with the way, like with the Amber Heard stuff that we saw, I think there is a large contingent of people who are of the opinion that Me Too was good at first, but went too far, kind of. And like, um, yeah, and that some people were unfairly, I think Al Franken is held up as someone who was like, quote unquote, unfairly canceled. Um, but sorry, Amanda, you're muted. 
Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I think Al Franken is held up as someone where it's like the jury's still out on people who how people feel about him and what happened with him and was it right for Democrats to kick him out? Um, I mean, he's hosting the new Daily Show, so it's like he's hosting one of the new episodes. He's not like the official host, so it seems like he's doing fine at this point. He's back in comedy, great. Louis C.K. sold up Madison Square Garden, so like the conversation is actually still ongoing, but. I agree with the idea that it was a cultural reset and it was just an awakening to these issues on a massive, massive scale. Yeah. I think you both nailed it. Like cultural reset sort of implies like we all kind of reset our expectations. um, And then there was some proactive changes in response to that. I feel like in the five years since like the whisper networks have just gotten a lot louder. And yes, not everybody who is, not every man who commits a crime or who deserves to be fired necessarily always is. But I think like women be talking a little bit more. I mean, I just sort of like, you guys know if if we're ever going to like, I've taken to like, if we're ever going to interact with like a straight male comedian, I'm like, is this guy good? Because apparently it was an open secret that Louis C.K. was jerking off on ladies for, for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. So I've definitely noticed yes. more kind of like, not like sexist, like, is this guy okay? But, but you know, you want to know what you're like getting into. And I think people are a lot more um, forthcoming and willing to kind of like be frank about those things because we've also seen in the five years since that the promise of having all of the, all of it validated and having every man who was responsible for wrongdoing, um, you know, taken care of obviously didn't happen. So yeah, I, I think that like you guys said, there's been some, some issue, some kind of headlines recently that I've wondered, like, are these kind of like reactions like Me Too went too far or just work left to be done? And I think it's just like men are – some men are always going to have a deep hatred of women. And, and I think Me Too kind of like infused this um, – but they're also not truthful, which has actually just been a thing around kind of like women all of the time. But it is – you know, I think that we deserve, you know, every every outcome possible. But it is pretty wild that these two men are very likely going to die in prison, like finally, after decades of operating like this openly and mm-hmm. it being an open secret. And mm-hmm. now like they're, they're bi-coastal inmates. Yeah. Well, and again, you know, everyone's like, these guys are such monsters. How can, you know, think about the harm that they've caused on so many women and so many children, you know, for them to get prosecuted like this. Exactly. But exactly. at the same time, if we've had, you know, I think that had we have had somebody in R. Kelly's camp or Harvey Weinstein's camp intervened earlier, if we've prosecuted earlier, you know, R. Kelly from 2003 had had was having court cases in 2003 about this, you know. Um, so the fact that, you know, it, endless amount of of victims you know it's just like it hasn't gone this radical thing and, and then also yeah like there are a you know ton of people still letting these things happen so mm-hmm. yeah it's not like a triumphant closing chapter it's just yeah like, this is what we should have expected for a long time that is our show for today please remember to rate and review if you love the show especially our new format if you're liking it Tell people why in the reviews. It's good to let people know what you like about the show, what they can look forward to. It just helps. It's, it's, it helps. We need help. Help us. I, I don't know. That was weird. Take that out. <laughs> Sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll read you the Help ending. us. Help. <laughs> help. Stop scrolling. <laughs> Stop scrolling. <laughs>
That is our show for today. Please remember to rate and review, especially if you're liking this new format. Tell us what you like about it. Tell potential listeners what you like about it so they know what they're getting into and that they'll love the show too. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Millie Tamara. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. Bye. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Sousmacat. Editing by Rebecca Sousmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails at SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.